So welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another fantastic panel of guests. And today we're talking about the business benefits of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Previously on the show, we've talked to underrepresented groups and specific communities, whether it be women, people of color, trans folks. And as part of our discussions, we've heard them passionately share their stories and illustrate why, of course, they're such an integral part of successful teams. So we thought it was time to really put a focus on that and dedicate a whole show to the importance of embracing DEI in your business. So welcome to Shay, Ashley, Jennifer, and Amani, who are going to share their thoughts and experiences with us today. So thank you so much for you all for joining me today. And let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Shay, we're going to start with you. Amazing. Thank you, Sarah. So my name is Sharia Abrahams, but I go by Shay. Um, I identify as she, her. Um, my husband and I have been married for six years. We recently just uh, completed a major renovation project in our home. So that's our, our new baby. Um, in my day job, I'm a senior events manager at SP Global, and I also sit on two steering committees for DEI within the organization. Um, so, very passionate about it. Um, in my spare time, I'm an avid Peloton uh, rider. Uh, it's, it does wonders for my mental health and my physical health. Nice. I love that. Thank you so much for joining us, Ashley. Awesome. I am Ashley. I am the Director of Customer Success at Space. We are a tech company that deals with all the loveliness that is supply chain and warehouse management. So I um, I love all the kinks and everything. I'm the one that if it goes wrong, it's coming to my plate. Um, so everything that can go wrong in supply chain has landed in my hands at one some point in time. Um, and I am out of Nashville, Tennessee. and. Thank you for having me on board. And I identify as she, her. Awesome. Awesome. What's your background? I am, and I do e-commerce sales, customer service, everything that involves from the product to the customer. Awesome. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. Now, Jennifer, is it Jen, Jennifer, or Dr. Jen? Or Dr. Jennifer? Uh, Jen is fine. Uh, You know, for some reason, it's kind of, well, I'll get into something else in a moment. But anyway, my name is uh, Dr. Jennifer Hurley. Jen is great. Um, I am the founder and executive director of Trans New York. I founded Trans New York back in 2018. Uh, I happen to be a transgender woman. Uh, That's exactly the time I came out in 2018 when I was 56 years old. I'll be 60 come June, so I'll have a four-year celebration. In addition to that, I recently got married. I had I had to count the months when people were talking about their marriage. So it's actually been, it'll be seven months on uh, April seventeenth, April eighteenth. But who's counting? Um, it's been a, a a really wonderful experience uh, transitioning and meeting someone new who I never thought I would meet in my wildest dreams, uh, and uh, to be the executive. Uh, Director of Trans New York, where we work with people with mental health and helping them with their gender identity, their families, uh, groups as well. We also do workforce inclusion training, transgender, gender diverse workforce inclusion training for corporations. Of course, corporations need lots of education. So do people. There are people in organizations, right? And lastly, we have a program where we do uh, workforce readiness, where we're helping the most marginalized part of our community. Uh, get ready to re-enter the workforce 
uh, from maybe doing jobs that were sort of alternative jobs, uh, such as sex work uh, and other work that they do. So it's uh, it's extremely rewarding uh, having this life. It's It's been truly amazing. I'm also a dad of a 22-year-old. Yes, I'm a dad. That's the way she likes to call me. That's the way I like it. And uh, and my wife and I, we consider ourselves queer. I don't know why. We just came up with it one day. So I, we had to call ourselves something. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for the work that you do. Um, and, you know, w- when we met and I was talking to your wife, her story of transition and how the work, how her workplace really embraced it and supported her. And so I'm excited because I'm hoping to have her on the next episode to talk about that as well, because I think that that's super, super important. Amani, last but absolutely not least, introduce yourself to us. Hi, my name is Amani Radman. I am uh, originally from Somalia. Um, I identify as a her. And uh, I am the VP of Malao Logistics, um, uh, located in Minnesota. Uh, we are a uh, small business startup uh, for the last two years. Um, super excited going from corporate to um, owned, right? So be able to really bring that diversity into life, right? And uh, we do transportation brokerage for LTL full truckload. And we also have uh, warehouses. And uh, so we really help um, shippers get their products to their final destination and uh, really being innovative and bringing um, from my past life, working at shipper level and broker level, be able really to come back and create those solutions for the customers. So it's a, it's a, you know, when you're working on your dream, it's it's a different kind of motivation for sure. So I'm super excited to be here and share my story. Yes, I am so excited for you to be here. And you're a mama bear. We've got a couple of mama bears on here yes, as well. You beautiful boys. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, no, it's always great to have different perspectives and really excited to have you all here. Now, I want to start this conversation because we're talking about the business asset and advantage of diversity and inclusion. I mean, we kind of t- hear about this all the time. We kind of talk about it all the time. I feel some people are doing something about it. Some people aren't. Some people don't know where to start. You know, it's kind of one of those things of like, what are we doing? What are we not doing? What should we be doing? Um, And there's a a lot of questions out there. So I want to just really start by asking the question, what is diversity, equity, and and inclusion, also known as DEI? And what does it mean to us? Jen, I'm going to start with you. Um, I would say that uh, DEI encompasses uh, the symbiotic relationship and philosophy and culture of acknowledging, embracing, uh, supporting, accepting those of all racial, sexual, gender, religious, and socioeconomic backgrounds, among their, among other differentiators. That's how I would uh, define DEI. Thank you for that. And why do you, like in your research and what you do, why is uh, DEI so important for businesses these days? Well, you know, I think for a lot of reasons, but, you know, the the biggest reason to me is I I think that uh, where organizations should really be thinking about this is for talent, because that's where you're going to get your talent pull from. I mean, uh, Gen Z, you know, Gen Z's, um, they're a lot different uh, than someone like myself. I can't speak for everybody else on the panel. You're probably all younger than I am. But the point being is, you know, there's a lot of, they have a lot of expectations 
that um, I never had, and uh, nor will I ever have. So I think that most organizations really have to understand that the workforce going forward, uh, it's, it's not even, you know, it's an expectation that you're going to be fully immersed into this DEI. You know, or I was, I was, you know, I was looking at the, you know, every day there's new uh, verbs and uh, acronyms. So div, <laughs> diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So, and, and I think the belonging part is one, and we've seen this, you know, with the Great Resignation. You know, we're hearing about the Great Resignation. I think that, you know, people, especially Gen Zs, you know, they just look at the world completely different and say, look, it, it's about me. It's not about you. And, and that's a, that's a tough thing for a corporation to start to understand. Absolutely. I'm going to throw one else in there, another word in there, which is acceptance. And I'm going to be talking about that later on this year, because I f- almost feel like, and Jen, you and I talked about this at TPM, where the inclusion word and the acceptance word, I kind of like acceptance better, but we'll get into that debate in another episode. <laughs> but I love what you said. And I think it's almost like they're you know, thinking that, you know, why do we have an acronym for this? Why are, why are we making such a big deal about this? Like, it just should be something that we're doing as people, as corporations, as things, as things like that. Shay, what do you think about uh, DEI? What does it mean? What does it mean for you? I agree with Jen, you know, I think it's also the environment, um, because you have to have a diverse and equitable um, and inclusive environment in order to retain talent. Because once you get them there, you have to keep them. There's so much competition out there when it comes to finding the right people for the job and people that are going to stay motivated and stay within your organization because people make businesses, right? They don't run on their own. So it's also focusing on the environment that you create where authenticity and innovation can flourish. And as a business community, we better reflect the industries that we serve. I love what, yeah, I love what you said about authenticity, right? We've got to create that safe space for people to want to be themselves. And I think we're doing a disservice to not only the company, but also each other if we don't create that space for people to be authentic and be themselves. Now, you and I were just on the DEI Honors um, Awards Committee, uh, which is the first ever for TPM, what were some of the things that came out of it for you when it comes to the acronym DEI, diversity and inclusion, and the work that people are doing within their organizations? I think one of the biggest takeaways for me was how broad of a perspective businesses was taking on DEI. Uh It wasn't just about the employees or within their organizations, but outside of their organizations, supply diversity the local communities that they're serving and how they're incorporating those um, into their overall strategy for DEI. So it's kind of that broad perspective and even just defining diversity. It's not just about gender and race. You know, it's it's so broad. It's We all have unique perspectives and we can't just be lumped into one group. You know, I'm a Black woman, but I'm not just a Black woman. I'm a Black woman who is uh, under 30, living in the UK, born and raised, um, mixed heritage. So there's all these different areas that make me Shay and I can't wow. be put into one box. And um, companies that adapt their strategies and um, their policies 
around the different groups of people that they have working in their organization mm-hmm. and don't treat it just like a blanket initiative and blanket efforts and really you know get down into the details of who their people are and what challenges they face mm-hmm. that's when you can really look at whether your environment is inclusive or not thank you for sharing that because i remember when i was looking at some of the the submissions that came in right because we were we were also part of determining who the winner was and I really, if nobody had a, if they didn't have a supplier diversity program, I was like, you know, you're not, you're not, what are you, what are you doing in DEI? Because that, that to me is like the first place to start. And so if anybody's listening and you haven't, you don't have a supplier diversity program, please look into getting a supplier diversity program, right, Amani? I can see yes, you shaking your I'm head. Like- Tell us what you think. I mean, just coming, like going to that event, right? At 2 p.m., it was just, it wasn't diverse enough for me, right? It was really, I really didn't feel like um, I, I had any representation. And I know those companies have people that they could have sent that do represent diverse, right? So it's not like they don't have it. They just chose not to send them to these events, right? And so coming from a corporate world, you know, it, we didn't send it, right? We never used to send... we. We want to create this picture and of of what you know diversity should be, but you can't say you're a corporation and not you know bring in representations when I know they're all eager to go and and represent you. But do you feel like if they're not if they're diverse enough or big enough that they can represent you and where you? So there there was there because I came in there with being you know a woman that's wearing her headscarf, right? Um, and I've seen the difference. So I, in, this is kind of new wearing the headscarf for me. So I'm on this virtual journey. And so in my, before I used to show my hair, so it was different on how I was getting approached and how people dealt with me versus wearing the scarf. Right. So there's just like, Oh, like, what am I supposed to do? It's all awkward. And, you know, so people make it awkward is because people don't go in an experience. Right. We no matter what state you live, there's so much diversity around you. And if you just go and step outside, you just, you get to see it, right? So for me, it means accepting people for who they are, not because of color, but even the thought process, right? Being diverse in your process, being diverse in how you think and how you just see life should be acceptable, right? And then giving them that space where just because you have a different thought process, just even though, even if, even if you don't fit the, you know, being diverse piece in their mind, be able to let you have this mindset of making change. Because if you, if I can accept your mindset, that means I am practicing diversity, you know? Mm -hmm. And then inclusion, as far as like, just creating that space where people can just come in and not feel they're being judged and for who they are and what they represent and, and, and when you give that to employees, my goodness, they flourish. And when they flourish, your business flourishes. And, and when, when people want to go above and beyond for the leadership, it's because you accept them for who they are. And, and, and as a leader, I think a lot of the lead, like people at the VP and like higher level, they've, I've seen it in my career life. I don't think really they truly believe it's needed. And so they don't really support it as much. And not understanding of the impact because it doesn't impact them directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that journey of going to TPM, was it something that you struggled with? 
while you so were I, there or before you went? Because at the end of the day, I mean, you're not seeing a ton of people in logistics and supply chain that look like you. So walk us through kind of that journey to TPM so that business leaders who are listening to this can really understand what, what you would have gone through and what you would have had to overcome to even go. I think the first, um, when I was heading there, um, was just the, there was, there was a lot of question of like, who do you, who are you representing? We want to know what company sent her, right? There was that. So a lot of people were coming out of curiosity to ask the question, oh, you know, where did you, what company? And when I say, well, it's my own, it made sense because to them, maybe they wouldn't. I think it was only one girl that came and she came from Nissan. So Nissan did send a representation of, of, of you know, and then there was not a lot of women too. So it wasn't just, the, you know, the perspective of just wearing a scarf, but it was in women. I didn't see a lot of women of color. And I think that the only ones that I did, we ended up just being with each other. We literally just kind of attracted to each, each other because we felt so, so out of place, right? And so, but I think, it can really make a difference for somebody. So for somebody like me that really is very confident and just very secure within my religion and who I am, it didn't impact me as much. But I can I could imagine myself for a woman that is kind of going through this journey of finding herself and still wants to become very professional, but still has that insecurity. Walking into that would have been just, oh my God, like walking into fire because I mean, 2,000 people being the only woman with this headscarf, all men are looking at you, just kind of like, who is she? I mean, there was always eye, eye staring. Didn't notice it as much when I used to, you know, show my hair. You know, I would be considered like this Latina look or they would think of me like more of an exotic uh, person. So I think women in, yes, women in supply chain, we're already minority, right? But then women, Muslim women, in, in it's it's literally finger tapping. So I'm hoping that with this blended, this is a representation for all the women that are rocking their headscarf, that are in the supply chain and fighting this man industry and really being a representation and corporations supporting women like us that are bringing up, right? So Malao yeah. Logistics is a representation of that and, and really wants to come and shine and show we're going to have a lot of us coming. So be ready. <laughs> thank, you so for, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, one of the things that I will say is out of Blended Podcast, we've created the Blended Pledge, which is to, to help cover travel expenses for diverse voices to say yes to speaking engagements, going to industry conferences. And your story, Amani, is one of the reasons why we are doing this. Because at the end of the day, we want to see more people that we resonate with, either attending or on stage. And it's not just the corporations. It's not just the event organizers. It's not just the individuals. It's everybody coming together to support that change right? Because it's not one person that can make that change. And mm -hmm. so I, I, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that story. And then I just wanted to share what we're doing and, and also share that it's not just one organization. It's not yeah. just one part of the equation that can solve that. It's everybody coming together to solve that. Ashley, what do you think about DEI? DEI, for me, DEI, and this is coming from, I come from, I'm in tech, 
and supply chain. So we have two male-dominated worlds <laughs> colliding to create another super <laughs> male-dominated world as well. So trying to find your niche. So I know I'm typically not going to see someone who looks like me or I'm not going to see that. And for me, DEI, I get exhausted, right? You Because there's perception and this feeling that you have to represent and you are the diversity or you are that person that people are looking towards. And that can get heavy and exhausting. And for me, it's about creating the space where you're not a representative. You're who you are. And the only thing that you're responsible for is the work that you're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. And we're here to support whatever growth, whatever you being you looks like and creating that space where people can feel confident and able to do their best because at the end of the day, it's about the people and making sure that you have a space where they feel the support and they feel heard. Well, and you want to do it for fun. You don't want to be doing it out of obligation. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Like I was listening to a podcast. So Lewis Howes was interviewing Lily Singh and she's, she's a East Indian, uh, East Asian, um, I think, right. East Asian comedian from Canada. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how she took the late night show gig. And the reason why she took it was because everybody was like, you have to take it. This opportunity is not going to come around for you to represent women, your religion, your background, so you have to take it. And she's like, it was the most grueling, unsatisfying two years of my life because I felt obligated to say yes to this because I was the one that had to make the change. I mm-hmm. was the one that had to be the visual representation and the change. And so, Ashley, you talk about being exhausting, it being exhausting. And so I use that example because, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's an example in the real world that everybody can sort of kind of relate to as to, you know, a, an opportunity that comes up and everybody's like, you have to say yes, you have to say yes. Now, Jen, I want to bring you into this. Because you're an advocate and you advocate on a daily basis, which I'm sure a lot of us do as well. But with your organization, you're advocating and advocating and advocating. What do you say to that? You mean that I'm advocating? I'll tell you what. Well, when I think of advocating, I mean, the advocating I love doing, I love doing. Um, But I, I have to be honest. I mean, it was refreshing to come to TPM. It was fantastic to be part of the of the judging. And it was great to see what organizations are doing. Because frankly, I'm on the forefront. I am right in front of people. And uh, it's astonishing what they're not doing. That's the one. Education is the biggest thing that we, that, you know, the whole world needs. You know, I was thinking about what Amani said. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I was listening to her and I teach, I think I've told you, I teach sociology. I'm an adjunct professor. So I was listening to her about her headscarf. And I remember before I transitioned, I, I grew my hair out as a male. And I can't tell you how much backlash I got about wearing a, a ponytail as a male. And it's just fascinating to me that, you know, just if we don't follow specific social rules, right, that are out there, I call them the social police. Um, it, it's real, And we all follow them. It's just amazing to me. And I was listening to what everybody was saying about women working in male-dominated professions. I think I shared maybe with Sarah and Shay, but my dissertation, the, the title of it was Perceptions of, of Workplace Stress and Role Conflict in Women Working in Male-Dominated Professions. Huh. 
we really know, you know, what's going on. And I always, when I advocate, and I'm talking to members of the transgender diverse community, I always bring up women because I say, because, you know, we're always looking to get better. And I always say, well, we are getting better. I said, they said, but it's not enough. I said, but, but look at women. They've been at it since, what, Adam and Eve. They, Eve got blamed, right? Or whoever. It's been going back forever. Somebody's always, a woman is always to blame, right? And you guys are talking about, you know, you can only come out in a certain way and you have to do this. So, you know, it's, at times, it's a bit disheartening, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, I, I zoomed in on your little uh, script here and I, I, I saw a budget. And budget was the one that really sticks out the most to me. Let's talk about budget then. Let's, yeah. let's talk well, about it. I think for supplier diversity, because I was with, uh, I was a, I'm still a member of the NGLCC, which is the National Gay Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. So I went to their supplier diversity uh, conference. But, you know, in a whole supplier diversity is getting better. But DEI, there's not enough investment from organizations. It's just, there is so much education needed on every subject. As I said, we're talking about women as if, you know, this has just happened, but it's, it's been happening for how many years? Hundreds, thousands, and it's still not equal. Women's pay 17% different than a man's. I mean, how is this possible? And, you know, some companies are starting to get it. And I think that you know, when I talked about Gen Z earlier, I think that Gen Z is going to force this. Organizations are going to be forced to invest more if they want to if they want to be a progressive, profitable organization. If they're not going to invest in DEI in a substantial way, you know, I speak to a lot of ERGs where we do our talks. Most of them don't have any budgets; they have very tiny budgets. And by the time they, if we're going to do a training for an organization, it could take almost a year to get wow. something approved. Yeah. And and that's a push because most times, you know, we're such a small segment, right? We're the minorities of minorities of minorities, the transgender, gender diverse, you know, organizations don't see it as much. But once they start getting people into their organizations and you know, certain states have passed laws like New York has gender, G-E-N-D-A. Uh, a company can actually be sued for using the wrong pronouns on somebody. So, wow. you know, so I really think that, you know, it starts with education and it should be called uh, the, the E should be education and the I should be investment. I don't know what will make the D for, but we'll have to think of one on this. I'm sure my other panel members will come up with something. So question for you on the budget. What should it cover? Because you covered a whole bunch of things there, right? You talked about how we should have budget for um, salary equality, right? You talked about budget for education. You talked about budget for a variety of different things. And so what should that budget look like for a company? I mean, and then the other thing too is like there's internal initiatives, there's external initiatives. So there's a lot of different things that that budget needs to stretch stretch out for, including supplier diversity programs. Yeah, I would like to add to that. So I came from very big corporations, right? And uh, like, you know, a billion dollars, billion, like huge in Seattle. And uh, I have never 
participated in any diversity events in the corporate world. There was, the, and, and if, even if they were on the on campus or on the thing, they didn't send it to everybody. So we didn't even get to see it. So I don't, I think I recall, I think one time where they, you know, celebrated something. I had occasions where leadership didn't know that Ramadan was happening and that we're fasting right now. And I need, you know, a day off doing out. I had a VP ask me one day, said, I need to take a day off for Eid. And she said, what is Eid? How are you a VP of a company and you don't have that? So when it comes to budgeting, coming from corporate world, when they do budget cuts, who gets cut first? It's the, these things, right? They don't consider these needed. It doesn't drive revenue into the company. So they don't understand when you invest in your people, the people are the one who creating the revenue. You invest in your people. Without the people, there's no corporations, right? And so uh, there's no budget. So when they do the beginning of the year, when they're putting the budget, budgets together, after everything has been assigned, is the last piece is like, let's put it in the diversity budget. That's how it goes. Mm. It doesn't go, okay, you know, what's priority? It's, okay, we have <laughs> this much left. Where, where, who could use it? You know, who, right. you know, it's kind of like that where, you know, smaller companies, right. That are more in, in, in the day-to-day activity, they are putting the money in mm-hmm. and because they are, you know, direct decision makers. So they can, you know, say this has to go there and then think of uh, corporate. Most of them are elder men that are still in there. So they don't have, if you just let got all of them out and let the new generations lead, yes, it would be totally different. So if the company is small, it's more innovative and it's more, you know, then you're going to get that. But if the company is still getting led by people that are 60 plus, that are uh, uh, older men that have never left the company, has never traveled, have never had a dinner with somebody outside of their city, has never went to a restaurant that is diverse, how is he going to tell you about diversity? Yeah. Right. And so we really have to think about the decision makers in those places when it comes to budgeting. Yeah. And so, Shay, that's then that was really, really interesting, Amani. And I appreciate you for sharing that. You know, what's the advice to organizations? What was there anything that came out of the diversity honors? thing where you had the conversations with those companies and maybe Ashley you can jump in here because I know you were one of the nominees for that um is how, what what do we tell them about budget how do we get them to really embrace it and make it one of the top line options instead of the bottom line options so first of all there is a real financial risk with not implementing DEI within your organization a real I mean staff turnover increases that's going to cost you more with having to replace staff more frequently having to pay recruitment agencies higher fees because you're having to have them on board for longer to try and find people training the cost of training staff and getting them up, up I mean there's a real physical cost associated with not being able to retain your people right because they're unhappy because they're not motivated they have no morale they don't feel like they belong So when companies start to experience the very real costs associated with this, they can recognize, hopefully, that DEI is a business tool to combat that. 
And it's not that, obviously, you know, all of us here, I'm, I'm sure would agree that it's the right thing to do. But it's a business tool in the context of what we're talking about, right? If happier staff means they stay at your company, they're more productive, they're more empowered to help other people within the organization too, right? It's not, I think one of the things we saw from the, uh, one of the nominations in particular was a particular company had empowered every single level of employee within the organization to be an advocate for DEI. It wasn't just leadership. It was junior staff members being mentors for interns, managers being mentors for junior staff. And it just went right up the chain. And now everyone has an active role to play with an organization. It's not on Mm. one particular head of DEI. Um, Everybody has a role to play to make the environment inclusive. And when you do that, I mean, you can see some real change. Um, You see staff turnover rates drop in. You see survey surveys, um, better results on employee surveys. Now, these are real results. And I think being able to look at your company and have an assessment, what are they? Where are the gaps? Where are we not performing? What do we need to address? Because it won't be the same for every company, right? There are some companies out there where their lack of diversity is with men. They don't have enough men in their organizations and it's predominantly women. Right. So Mm -hmm. diversity isn't just about how do we get more women? How do we get more um, minorities? It's really looking at your organization and assessing where the diversity gaps are. Where are the inclusive gaps? Where are the equitable gaps? Because it will be different for each organization. And there are a ton of different initiatives and efforts companies can use and employ. And when you see companies really um, having a well thought out strategy towards their business, short-term goals, long-term goals. And when they're making business decisions every day that are consistent with their goals, that's when you start to see real real change. Well, and I also think that if you're diverse, if you're DEI, if the person that's in charge of your DEI is happy, you're doing something right. Because a Mm -hmm. lot of times with DEI representatives that are working diversity and inclusion in an organization, they go through a lot. And if they have the support, they have the budget, they have the means to be able to do what they need to do, that is the true indication, right? That is one of the true indications, I think, as well. So actually, sorry, go ahead, Shay. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say very quickly to add, um, one of the things we also saw from the, the nominations for the DEI honors was that you don't you don't necessarily need to have a huge budget. Yes, you need budget, but you don't need to have a huge budget. I mean, we saw some smaller companies that were, when we went through the judging process, they were ranking same level as companies that had huge amounts of budgets and resources available to them. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, to quote Jen on one of the things that was discussed during, during our judging process, there could be challenges sometimes with larger organizations with bigger budgets because you can't always move as agile as smaller companies. You can't always make systematic changes within an organization as quickly or as easily as smaller companies. So true. And I think you have to trust the person you put in charge of diversity and inclusion. I mean, you really, it's a, anyways, Ashley, so give us, (laughs) give us your thoughts on this. I mean, you guys were a nominee. Um, you do have a diversity and inclusion um, 
program within your organization, what does that look like? I mean, I know you probably can't tell us what that budget looks like. Maybe you can tell us what it covers and how you think about it so that we can provide like a real world example to those listening as to what it could look like. The real world example is hire someone who knows. (laughs) (laughs) So there is the, um, the beauty is like just Shay was mentioning, every organization is at a different spot. First of all, you have to figure out where you are as an organization. Our organization is super young at the time we implemented DEI. We had less than 100 employees. So we were able to move and be agile, but I also appreciated that this was something that we thought of very early on in the company to make sure that we addressed it as we grew. But there are tons of firms (laughs) and consultants and people who can look at your organization from an outside lens. And then make recommendations for you and where to start. And they've done it for organization after organization. So that is for organization that's just trying to figure out what to do, what to do next. Sometimes ask just for ask for help. Like, I understand that this is a need. I need some help and I need someone to come in and find the budget for that. And they can advise you from there on which ways you can have improvements in your company and the things to help with trainings or should it be trainings? Or for me, I'm always about, if you do training, you also have to train your people to have the conversations, right? Just telling people, this is something you need to be aware of. This is something that you need to acknowledge. But once you put it out there, how do you address it from going forward? Like, how do you have those conversations with your people? How do you help them feel comfortable after you open up those floodgates? Because you just, I just want to have a diverse organization, but you also have to be comfortable and confident and having the conversations that need to be had based on behaviors on anything that you're seeing to make sure that that gets addressed early on and specific with direct feedback or else, you know, it's just empty words, right? So you have to just make sure that you're not just doing lip service with, okay, we gave the training. Oh, we gave the educational piece. Oh, oh, we looked at salaries. Oh, we did this and that. But if people still don't feel like they can talk about it, then we haven't done the work. That is such a good point. And I just want to put something out there because I've had some conversations about the feedback. And if people know that their names are attached to that feedback and they're being judged by the people who run the organization who are looking at the feedback, they are scared of repercussion. Mm-hmm. And so you will never get anybody giving you actual feedback that you can actually do anything with yeah. because their name is associated to it. So if you are going to get genuine feedback and you really genuinely want to get feedback from your people, you either need an outside source who can create that safe space where they feel safe enough to be able to share their truth and their perspectives in that in that environment and won't be judged to whoever is getting that feedback later on, or you have to take names out of that feedback process so that people can share authentically and nobody's going to feel like they're going to get judged or lose their job or anything like that. I think that is one of the most important things. And Jen, correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) but it's conversations like that that I've had. I mean, share with us some examples that you've seen, Jen, of maybe a good organization, like an organization that's got DEI somewhat right, and maybe an organization that doesn't. Well, I'll give you the name of the the organization that has it right. I won't give you the name of the one that doesn't. No, please don't. so uh, Northwell Health, they're the largest health provider in New York. They have over 60,000 employees. So 
they they have a transgender program where you know they do surgeries and they help people with hormones but it's a it's a very small part of their business but yet they recognized that they needed to do transgender workforce inclusion training because they have 60,000 employees i mean the person in administrative or the person answering the phones or the person in the emergency room the physician in the emergency room has never met somebody who's transgender or gender diverse. Mm. So they took on uh, the training that we gave them. In addition, they're looking at alternative ways for sustainability. That's what Ashley was talking about. You know, it's wonderful for someone to come call us up, have us come in, pay us, which we love, um, to do the training. <laughs> but if it's only a one-time deal, meaning, you know, we're there for a couple of months and then it's all out the window, What's going to be next? Will there be video training? Will there be computer modules for them? And Northwell Health is firmly committed to this, you know, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a, a tribute to them because they're a very large organization. You know, we did it with a smaller organization, the Ed Council. Same thing. You know, you guys were talking about four. They were very committed to this and it's working well. Um, when I was having my conference, I had to go to like, scrambled to go to companies begging for money. I just did. I had a conference in New York City. It was really expensive. So I went to one of the largest uh, media companies in, in the United States. And um, I was completely shell-shocked by the lack of knowledge on DEI. They didn't even know what the uh, HRC Equality Index uh, uh, report was. Can you explain um, that before you go on? Can you just explain that for anybody in the audience who might not know what that is? Sure. So the human rights, uh, uh, I can't remember the letter, but it's human rights. I can't remember the name. But anyway, they 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 put out a diversity. Uh, most organizations, which is wonderful, most organizations pay them to be part of this. And it's, it's like, a you know, they're the, like the gold standard of knowing about uh, having a, an equality and equity uh, organization. The problem is, and it's no fault that the HRC, I mean, what they do is great. People like them, they're the gold standard, uh, particularly you know when it comes to uh, LGBT, but there's very little training on the T and the gender diverse people. And it doesn't go on. They, make, they pay a one-time you know, fee for this, and it's, it's wonderful. I'm not knocking the HRC. I'm just saying it's not a sustainable program. And that's what's down to corporations. You know what I mean? They don't know the sustainability part, mm-hmm. you know? So when I walked into this major media company and they own a few, uh, you know, well-known liberal newspapers, um, it was very surprising to me that they knew so little about uh, diversity and inclusion. I mean, they they gave me a check and sent me on my way. And I mean, and that was it. They never, I never heard from them again. Hmm. So, I think that you know, it's unfortunate that we have a lot of companies out there like that. And you know, I talk about this all the time during Pride. You can talk about it, you know, no matter how you identify. But during Pride, you'll see a lot of flags. You'll see a lot of this, a lot of that. But most of those companies aren't taking the time to really invest in the areas in, in training. And, and it's like Ashley said, the sustainability part is everything. The, the 
Training's important. Events are important. But you have to find a way as an organization to sustain what people are learning and that they feel free, as Ashley said perfectly, that they feel free that they can talk about it and they can go into a, a as a mining said, as they can go into a conference and feel like they're not the only ones. I mean, when I went to TPM, I was fortunate. I was with my wife. She she doesn't care where we are, you know. But uh, but it's but it's not easy for people when you know you're the only one in attendance. Yeah, know? absolutely. And I'm I'm glad that we brought up the sustainability piece because at the end of the day, DEI and sustainability kind of go hand in hand, right? I mean, if we're talking about a sustainability program and being committed to sustainability, it's not just about the environment. It's also about human rights. And it's also about what we do in diversity and inclusion as well. And there's one thing that I want to go into in just a second, but I want to give Shay and Amani a chance to really share some examples of if you've seen it done right, done wrong. I mean, if we don't we don't need to share company names. We're not throwing anybody under the bus, but we are giving examples of what to do and what not to do. Do you have any examples to share before I kind of go on to the next one? I think where I've seen it done well is when the leadership or open-minded, if they are already came in with the mindset of, you know, that's a culture way of living. So I've seen it where companies, if, if the leadership in, in, in those roles that are, you know, in charge of all these decision-making are more, um, you know, have been in the same company for since they're, you know, graduated college, you know, all their life, and they've never really worked somewhere else. I've seen it. And then I've seen it with companies who are more innovation and technology more. These They seem like they're more into, you know, acceptance and respecting and actually challenge their employees to speak up and actually don't hire people that sit in the corner in the back of the room and don't, you know, say their opinions and actually challenge. And, you know, so are you like leaders will step up and say, do you not have an opinion on this? Do you not have any thought process? Which means I accept. So I think the levels I've seen on each side and the ones that I have, you know, really flourished the most in my career are those companies that gave me that space to really, um, you know, held, held me and mentored me because it was people that I could look up to and I could say, you know, oh, wow. And they will always have impact in my life. So yes, I, I've seen both, but I think it's very important to see. I think the bigger they become, the more it gets lost in their, in, in their way of uh, doing business. Thank you. And empowering people to find their voice, right? That's really what we're, what you're talking about and what we, what we can really do with diversity and inclusion. Shay. I remember one scenario with quick where a VP told me he was, I was a direct report and he said, you don't have an opinion. Come on. I know you do. I've seen you talk in the hallways. You know, I know, I know you have an opinion (laughs) and I was like, okay, I could see where, and ever since then, You know, we were like, I literally have grown. I think that was the time that I've grown the most up the channel because I was able, I was accepted. I was, you know, pushed. I was being, and then I came, went from that kind of, you know, mindset to another company that said, you're too direct, you to this, you, you know, you need to slow down. You need to do this. You're a woman. You need to fall back. Right. So 
it's just the environment. It's like the animals, right? If you let the animals just be free and in and, and, and the safari and instead of putting them in a, in a, in a you know, place and lock them up, they're not going to be, you know, they're going to become feisty. They're going to become angry. They're going to want to eat you. But if you let them, you know, hang around the safari, they, you know, they might come by and say hi, you know? <laughs> you know, there are times in my life where the universe is telling me that I am in the right place at the right time. And let me tell you, earlier on, I was watching an episode of Queer Eye in season six. <laughs> and it, there was this direct quote about how much we could learn from animals. Animals don't need to learn from us, that we need to learn from animals. And then you just said that. And I'm, I'm like, man, I am in the right place today. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Amani. Shay. <laughs> Yeah, I think it comes down to the management training. You know, we're talking about people, employees feeling that they can say how they feel and be honest and open to their managers and the company. But it really does come down to the management training. What how are we training our people managers to best you, you know, get the most out of their people? Relationship training, you know. I think these are all really important areas that companies need to build into their overall strategy. It shouldn't be this kind of separate DEI management training, but rather the overall management training that you're doing yes. for your people managers. Mm-hmm. DEI should just be, you know, within that, right? It should fall right under that. Mm-hmm. When you're having conversations with your staff about performance, like also really ask them about DEI, how they feel. Do they feel they belong? Do they feel like, all of their talents are being utilized or, or is this there this uh, uncapped potential that they have in their back pockets that they're not able to share and, and you know, at the company? That is a really great point. So I'm going to ask all of you, what are some of the questions that we can either ask ourselves as leaders or that leaders can ask their team members to really give them a sense of how well they're doing for DEI, I mean, what are some of those questions? I mean, you just shared a couple, Shay, but are there are there some more that we can sort of give to leaders in organizations to say, hey, here's some questions to ask people to really figure out where you're at and where you need to go? Jen? You know, Sarah, I, I'm not quite sure about the questions, but I, you know, it's all this talk about the leaders reminded me. So, and so did Amani remind me. So, We did two speaking engagements for IHS Market. So the first one was for 53 of the partners. I forgot all about this. Thank goodness for my mind. So we did it for 53 of their their partners right before this merger between S&P. And we basically, Stephanie and myself, who's my associate, we went in and we told our stories. And, And then they asked questions, you know, which was fantastic that, you know, we had this level of management, you know, having curious and feeling like they were in a safe space. And I think that's really what comes down to, you know, maybe the leaders can ask the managers, you know, are you creating a safe space? You know, I think that's critical, you know, for people to be able to feel like they can ask uh, questions, right? Or if they're not sure, you know, and, and in some ways, you know, maybe have some sort of coach or consultant, you know, who employees can go to, you know, just not the ones who are minorities, but the ones who are minorities and they're not really sure how to report somebody, right? They want to talk to somebody, they they have questions, but they're concerned that, you know, they're going to ask their own questions. And that's why 
when we did this talk with uh, the uh, partners, 53 partners, it was just really amazing that, you know, they, they asked a lot of questions that I, I guarantee they wouldn't have asked, um, you know, just in regular setting. So I, I think that's really what should be asked is, are you creating safe space for people? And that has to be on both sides because what we have to understand is that most people are uneducated. I'm going to use myself, okay? Five years ago, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm white. So five years ago, you know, I, I did not transition. I was a white male w- with a doctorate. You know, I had a lot of privilege, you know. Then I came out as a trans woman. So that knocked me down a peg. I'm a woman. That's another peg. And then, you know, the fact that I'm queer. So I got knocked down three pegs, which is okay. But it's my coming out is so much different than somebody who, let's say, a person of color who's transgender. You know, they're not going to have the same uh, opportunities as I had. So I think that, you know, we have to recognize that people really need a lot of education. And sometimes it's just the fact that people haven't encountered others, right? I mean, I call it economic segregation, right? We sort of have that. In where I lived in Long Island, completely white my whole life. Completely white. It's still white. Now I live in Queens. It's probably the most diverse borough in uh, New York. So what did I know about diversity? I didn't know anything until I went back to school, until I was forced into it. Right. When I transitioned, it was like, boom, you're in. You've got to make the best of this. And I think what you just what I just sort of thought from that is the word grace. And I think it's grace all around. Right. We talk about the questions that we need to ask the employees, but then it's also a safe space for the manager to ask their leadership different questions. Right. And so we need to be able to have the grace. And I I think, you know, a lot of people are exhausted from advocation and rightly so, but we still need to be able to provide grace to other people to falter and to ask the wrong question, but then to say, hey, you know, that's not really the right question to ask. You know, here, here's, here's maybe the right way to ask it and how it wouldn't offend me because right now that question that you asked me kind of offends me, but they wouldn't potentially know that. And so I think a lot of the times that word grace, right. And grace on both sides of the table is almost what is needed to create that safe space. It's not necessarily just about the leadership down. It's also about the front line up, right. Ashley, I know you're going to jump in. How oh, about sorry, Jen. I'm sorry, but how about grace and empathy? Let's put grace it empathy. and empathy. Love it. Love it. Sorry, Ashley. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. Um, when companies are trying to figure out if if this is something or a concern of yours, first of all, DEI should be a part of your concern, period. But I find that a lot of companies have to check themselves when a major world event or a national event is happening, right? It's like, okay, this huge thing just happened. Now I have to figure out if I have to ha- what I have to say. Right. Do I have to say something? What are the words I need to put in it? Who is the one that has to send out the message, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I think that's the pulse check is like, if you're trying to figure out what to do, in that scenario, then maybe you need a consultant, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> out, like what's happening, what's going on, what you should say. Emergency consultant. Someone on tap, you know, yeah. I got somebody, I have my, here's my person. 
Or um, the other thing to ask when that happens is, do I feel like my employees and my company can have a discussion about what happened? Mm. Because if you can't talk about it without it being like, okay, I'm just going to go to this person and talk about it because they look like me. And I feel like they'll understand and relate to what I'm feeling and what my thoughts are and what I'm going through. Right. But, you know, you should be able to have that conversation with someone who doesn't look like you. And if you can't feel confident, like if I don't feel like I can go to my manager and talk about, this is how I felt when I saw George Floyd, or this is how I felt when this happened, or this is, I need to take a mental health day because all this stuff is going on and I am overwhelmed and I need to be able to process and think. If I can't either have someone come to me with that or go to my manager with that, which I think I do, I can (laughs) go to him with that. Um, I've gone to him with a lot. (laughs) So, um, but if you don't have that environment, it's just, you know what, pay increased benefits for care of psych, you know, psychologists and (laughs) care in other capacities or loss. Like you're going to pay for it in other ways. And you have to make sure that along with that grace, you know, you give someone an arm, a hug, you know, virtually, because we're all, a lot of us remote or some kind of resource that they can get the support they need if it's something that you yourself can't give them specifically. I love that. I love creating that space to be able to have the conversation about what's going on right now. And that actually is a great segue into one of the questions that I have for you guys. I am totally off script this particular episode, just so everybody knows. The audience wouldn't know, but you guys definitely do. And you're like, where is she going with this? Um, So, you know, the months. So we got Black History Month. We've got maybe, I think it's Pride Month, right? We've got all Mm -hmm. these different months and all of these corporations do all these things on social media for the months. But it's not about months. It's every single day. So how does everybody feel about organizations and them just sort of jumping on the bandwagon for the month? It was like... (laughs) When we had the Black um, Black Lives Matter movement in with with all of the um, with that happening, sorry, in July 2020, I think it was, and mm-hmm. all of this money was being poured into all of these nonprofits and different things like that. And I was talking to somebody, I actually had somebody on Blended talking about this, and she's like, "We had all this money up until September, and then after September, everything dried up." And there's nothing left and, and we can't get any money from anywhere else. So what yeah. do we feel about this as organizations? Because I think, Ashley, you said earlier, or even Imani, you said that your manager didn't know about Eid, right? Mm-hmm. So we want organizations to know about these things. Yeah. But then sometimes we also falter them for just celebrating with it within that month. So as an organization, how do we get this right? It's kind of funny. I just had this conversation with my DEI committee last week. You're in the right <laughs> space, Ashley. You're meant to be here. Um, yeah, I just had this conversation because um, a lot of people are neurodiverse. And it was just recently, it was Neurodiversity Month. And then we're looking at getting some training in a speaker for X, Y, and Z. And she's like, I'm going to be super busy this particular month because it's Autism Awareness Month. So everyone's booking me right now. Okay, great. We'll get you in May. Right. Or June, or let's not focus on, oh, everyone's doing this right now because this is the big thing that we have to celebrate and acknowledge. 
it's all about having the continued education resources because it's great if you can learn and it's like, oh, wait, I didn't think about this thing. Let me, at least we can educate everyone, but create the resource that it's not just then and it's accessible throughout the entire year. Um, like we have like a library of everything that we've created for our DEI that people can go to at any time so that you can always educate or learn or there's a resource there for you. And it's not about the month because, you know, I'm going to be black every single day, not just February. <laughs> <laughs> and you really? know, I just, you know, it's amazing that, you know, it doesn't go away. Um, so so it's, um, yeah. So it's my, you know, thank I you. need to feel like I'm part of a company all the time, not just yeah. in February. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And hopefully blended podcasts can be part of that resource library for you. <laughs> Yes. Shay, <laughs> I, I can see you there. You're you're listening and you're jo- chopping at the bit to jump in here. Oh, I really am, Sarah. So I think it's intention, right? What's the intention of the organization? Is it a tick boxing exercise, mm-hmm. right? I must send out these tweets and LinkedIn posts around Black History Month just so that I can be seen to be celebrating Black people. Or is it that this is a part of my overall DEI strategy to help my people feel more like they belong, that their voices are being represented at the organizational level, and as an education piece for people that aren't Black to learn about Black history and Black culture. And you see that through the other initiatives that the organization's doing, right? This just might be one thing they're doing of many different things. So for example, Black History Month, if I have a a one-to-one with my manager and he says, hey, Shay, happy Black History Month. That's not something that's on social media. That's not anything anyone else sees. But as a Black person within the organization, I feel it. I appreciate it. It makes me feel good, right? And so if you're going above and beyond just these social tweets and posts and you're incorporating the celebration of Black history within the organization, down to the very granular level of a a manager and an employee interaction, then you're doing something right. You're making real change. It's impactful. But I think it all comes down to the intention behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, um, I did an episode for black history month on blended, uh, called culture, culture and history. And I really wanted to highlight the history of a variety of different people of color and what was happening and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I was talking to somebody about it and they had, well, I didn't actually talk to somebody about it, but they were saying that they wanted to talk about the history of black farmers. And I was like, oh, it's a perfect episode for you to come on. Like, I'd love to hear that because we're really focusing on the history and education. And they got mad at me for doing it in February or to, for doing it between for black history month, because they were a person of color and they didn't want to just be pigeonholed to black history month. But the episode was about history. So I, you know, this is why I asked this question, because you're talking about the intention. My intention was absolutely pure. But then in some respects, when you're on the outside looking in or you're asking these questions or asking somebody to participate or whatever, you know, sometimes, you know, that intention isn't necessarily something that somebody can can necessarily see. All right. It's not always easy to see, but I think it can be communicated. Right. And I think this is where it comes down to the empathy side of it. Like, you have to be giving people the benefit of the doubt and have those conversations. Like you said before, I'm sorry, you know, this isn't the right thing to say. This isn't the right question. Maybe if you ask it in a different way, like you need to communicate with each other and not make assumptions 
And then you can get the intention across, mm-hmm. right? That's how you overcome those things. Like yeah, because I'm having these conversations on a monthly basis. I'm hosting these episodes. You know, I'm trying to uh, elevate the conversation and, and things like that. And so the intention, you know, publicly is there. But at the same time, I still get things wrong. And if I've right. said something wrong or I've approached it the wrong way, I definitely need to know. And so that in that moment, that was very educational for me. But at the same time, I wasn't really told as to what I did wrong and what I did right. So I wasn't right. entirely sure how I should approach it next time. And so sometimes when we go through um, circumstances like that, some people will inch away from it and be like, oh, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want to do it. But we can't have people do that. Right. Because then we stop. Then the conversation just stops happening. And so thank you. I just wanted to share that uh, particular example. Jen, you look like you want to say something. (laughs) Well, no, I was just thinking about, you know, so. um, You know, we do get I I can understand what you're saying, but we, we do get a lot of people, you know, who are just doing things, you know, because something's happening or it's a particular day, like it was just a transgender day of visibility. I had five companies. Uh, contact me about speaking engagements. None of them came through because they didn't want to pay, right? So it's just what happens, you know what I mean? But it's like you'd like me to come, you'd like me to speak, but you don't want to pay me. How does that work? Like, Mm -hmm. can I buy your product and not pay for it? Can I buy your service and not pay for it? You know, and too often we we see, you um, you know, and things just seem to disappear. Remember the Me Too? That's gone, right? What happened? George Floyd, right? Gone. It, it's like it doesn't happen anymore. So, you know, it's we're kind of creatures of habit that way. And that's kind of an unfortunate thing. You know, it's, it's like sustainability should be about teaching about these topics, whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's sexuality, religion. It should be about teaching these on a consistent basis all the time, because frankly, we're all different. We yeah. really are. And, and you know, allowing, you know, people to have the space, as we talked about, and really having empathy on both sides, you know, for the experience that you had, Sarah, mm-hmm. right? You know, everybody has those experiences. That's what I was talking about, the 53 partners. You know, pe- when people meet me, I know they're usually walking on eggshells. So it's like, you don't have to walk on eggshells. Uh, I won't bite you. I, I'm the same type of person you are. If you cut me, I bleed. I've got to pay taxes. And I got a kid I got to take care of. You know what I mean? So I think that um, it really is about sustaining that education. And and you know what? We've thrown the word a lot around being authentic. Yeah. I think that organizations, you know, have to be authentic in their intentions about diversity. You know, if you're not authentic about it, do me a favor and don't do it. Yeah. People can feel inauthenticity, right? Yeah. Put your money where your mouth is, you know? Mm -hmm. That's so true. Amani, you've been waiting patiently, I think. No, I I was just thinking, I was just thinking, you know, so say you take the travel to like Africa, you go to the Caribbeans and you go to all these places, you know, they are so welcoming when they see that you're different. Right. As soon as you walk into the airport, they just want you to feel the culture. They want you to feel this. You know, they want you to because they know this is probably uncomfortable for you. So they, you know, they drag you and they want you to feel like you're part of it. And then you come to the U.S. 
And then they have this, like, you have to be part of a diversity. You have to be part of this thing, right? You have to be part of this thing. It's a way of living, right? This is a way of living, you know? And it's a collective thing. So if I want people to know my culture, I need to also show my culture, right? And not say, oh, it's Ramadan this month, which is, is by the way, I'm, it's Ramadan this month. Um, I, I can't say, you know, if I know that my team is not super aware, it's also my job to educate the people around me, right? So whether it's my friends, whether it's, you know, non-Muslim community, it's it's our job to bring them in as well and teach them the culture. So we can't, when things don't go our way, start to do finger pointing. Oh, nobody acknowledged me for Ramadan. I mean, come on, like there's so many religions in the world. Maybe they're just, you know, I don't know. We have, I mean, there's billions of Muslims, so it's kind of weird that you do, but it is right. So it's a collective thing. So if Sarah, you went and you approached, there's no wrong or right approach. So, you know, it's just at that moment, it might've been an approach for that person was wrong, but it might've not been uh, different for somebody else. So we choose as a human being to take the information to how we want to. And if I choose that, whatever you say to me in a negative light, then that's what's going to be, right? And so if we don't give the space for people to ask questions because they're scared they're going to insult you, right? How are they supposed to learn? How are they supposed to be part of it? So we, and then they're scared of lawsuits because now this person says, oh, she insulted my religion. No, she didn't or he didn't, right? So it's a collective thing that we have to do for each other because it's a way of living. And I don't think we need to have you know, an separate space of organization within a company that's going to manage it. My company, I don't want a diversity. Honestly, I don't want to assign a person to be in charge of what a culture in a company should be. This is going to be a way of everybody interacting with each other. I'm not going to hire a team that is in charge of bringing cultures to life. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a team that you build within each other and it's the leaders that we have to, it's a way of living. I want everybody to come in and really be that. So I will make sure that my company doesn't have a, I'm not going to have a director of diversity and inclusion. No, it's going to be, I am a diversity of inclusion. My employee is a diversity inclusion. My coworkers, I'm, we all part of that. It's a, it's a way of living for sure. And it's, it's accountability and responsibility. And for us to be also be able to take accountability and responsibility to celebrate what it is that we want to celebrate, what we want to share with people, what we want to be able to share with those that we're working with as well. And so that comes down to the safe space. So two more things. One is supplier diversity. Now, I know this is a really big topic and we've touched on it a little bit, but I think from a business perspective, it's really, really, really important that with intention, we are seeking out diverse suppliers that we can do business with because that's one of the ways that we can elevate underrepresented businesses um, as much as we possibly can into a world and create that diversity and inclusion. I'm, you know, certified women owned. And some of the conversations I have, I'm like, I fit into marketing budget, but I also fit into supplier and diversity budget. You know what I mean? Um, And there's, it's very important to be able to do that. But I also understand as a small business, when you're working with a large organization, 
it can be very difficult, right? They have 30, 60-day payment terms, which is not very good for a small business. They have large contracts that you have to go through that you have to pay a lawyer to do, and it's really not worth it sometimes. And so just want to get everybody's sort of a perspective on supplier diversity and how we make it um, maybe an easier way of doing business, like not an easier way of doing business, but easier way for organizations to see it as like a huge win when they're working with diverse suppliers. Shay, I'm going to start with you on this one. Yeah, I think it's um, when you work with, uh, first of all, the demand, we talked about the Gen Z, right? Generation Z demanding diverse organizations as, as their employers. And that really drive in companies to make some changes. Well, the same thing is happening with supplier diversity. Customers are demanding, like as part of their DEI goals, supplier diversity is incorporated into that, right? So now organizations need to think about the company and how diverse their company is. And when you look at supplier diversity and the challenges that some of the smaller organizations face with regards to those sort of payment terms, 90 days, 60 days payment terms, it's an education piece again, right? And it's companies building in the flexibility within their procurement teams so that they can work with these companies because because there's no point. Otherwise, you you need to find a way to make it happen, right? So having companies have honest, open conversations and working collaboratively with these uh, suppliers that are diverse to make sure that there's a win-win scenario. Otherwise, there's no progress. Yeah, I'm going to give an example. I worked with a very large company, which I will not name. And I think the invoice was $1,000. They took 365 days to pay me. And when they paid me, they uh, charged me for the wire transfer fee. So not only did I pay for all of the work that I did to try to follow up on this payment, (laughs) I also didn't get the full payment that I had deserved from them. And actually, I recently had a conversation with them again. And I said, listen, you want to work with me? That can't happen again. I have 15-day terms. And if you don't pay me, and you've got to pay a deposit because I'm not doing the work without it. Amani, I mean, you're a small business, right? You're a, you're a diverse supplier. Tell, tell us a little bit about how, how organizations can support or better work with you. I'm a woman-owned, minority-owned. I mean, all the check marks, right? It's, it's there for us. And I was really surprised and really shocked on how we don't get support from companies that are major in the diversity, right? Um, like the big corporations, because like you said, we can't, we can probably maybe even do the work better for it than because it's so customized and it's so much smaller and personable, but we won't get a chance with these big guys, right? And honestly, I had to recently really shift my way of thinking in that and and really my team to say, you know, guys, like even to be able to go back and rebuild the relationship with companies I've worked for is hard, you know, because it's to them, they don't even want to take a chance on you. And, and, and because you're such a small fish in a big ocean. Right. And so it's really, really hard. And you know, we just going to focus on smaller companies and where we're more compatible, but, you know, it would be nice that they would say, you know, we're going to, because they get tax breaks from us as well. Right. So at the end of the year, if they work with small company, minority owned, woman owned, whatever the case, they actually get tax breaks at the end of the year. Um, so they would, 
they don't even realize that. I think a lot of them don't even know how much the tax break is because they've never really tried it. So they don't even know. They've never really did like a whole year of, you know, let's just, you know, have at least 20%, you know, small business opportunities. So when we go to these big events, like, and we, as a small, you know, they, they don't really call back. They don't respond. They don't, they ignore us. And sometimes it's very blunt and it's, and uh, it's because you're too small for them. And then when you get big, because, you know, we're going to get big one day and then I'm going to remember And I'm going to remember how you treated me when I was a small person and I'm not going to want to do business with you. So, and that's exactly what's happening in the supply chain right now. All the product that's sitting at the port, these salespeople were, when this, the shippers used to talk to these salespeople, when things was like pennies, they were disrespectful to these salespeople. They were rude to them. And now the, the you know, the roles have changed mm-hmm. now they they call the same person the person remembers you from five six years ago how you treated them and now i get to pick if your product goes into the container or not so you know it's 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 that opportunity it's that one shot that you have to give and and really um even those events that we go to it's just we're never going to get the shots i mean to even get a table at these events right It's like $20,000, $30,000. You're already putting us in a place where we can afford it. So like even, you know, supply chain um, uh, events that are happening, they don't give small businesses opportunity. When you're charging $50,000 for a booth, mm-hmm. come on, that's basically telling you, telling us, you guys are not welcome. It's only for the big dogs. So it's all, it's all around that's happening. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think, you know, if you're really going to have a supplier diversity program, you need to do the research as to what the benefits are and how you can work with those small businesses and how you have to adapt and be a little bit more flexible to work with those small businesses and find the opportunities to be able to do that because we want growth for companies like Amani's. Ashley, and then I'm going to go to Jen. I think it's really just searching for the resources and having conversations with the people that you want to work with. I find that especially from working for a smaller company, I'm going to get a better response <laughs> or they're going to, I'm speaking to the people who are making decisions or I'm speaking to the person that's going to be able to get things done for me. And when you shift your focus to these larger companies where they may see you as just a number or a dollar that you're bringing in, and not as a valuable part of their business, mm-hmm. like you get a better feeling from going to the smaller and better support and investing your money and your mental health <laughs> with, you know, these smaller is going to be a better benefit. So for me, it's look at who you're talking to, have those conversations with people, um, search, do resources, there's tons of directories and different resources you can use to find those suppliers and that's really going to be the best way. And most companies like you're, they're using a software and they can figure out how to adjust their payment terms if needed. Well, yeah. Yeah. And talk to them (laughs) and find out what it is that they need and how it's Mm going to work. I mean, I had, I had a conversation with somebody the other day that was like, we're going to take your agreement. We like to redline everything. I was like, that's not a negotiation. They can pay you today. They can pay you today. Yeah. Don't redline everything. Come back to me with an alternative and we'll see if it works for both of us. I mean, you know, so Jen, final word on, on supplier diversity. What, what do you think? Well, I would say in my past life, you know, when I was uh, working with city agencies, I, I was listening to what Amani was saying. 
you know, it just rings true so much. I mean, I think I think large companies can simplify. You know, you do have to adapt to smaller companies. Even in the nonprofit arena, I mean, we get money from city agencies. You have to be a nuclear physicist to figure out the paperwork. Right. I'm still working on paperwork for a full year for $5,000. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen anything quite like it. The other thing is, you know, when you put up these roadblocks, like in a conference that Amani was talking about where it's impossible. I wanted to go to this wonderful nonprofit dinner. A seat was $1,200. Mm. $1,200. My organization can't afford to send me. It would have been a great networking event for me. You know, so you get blocked out. You know, the, unfortunately, the small companies get blocked out. And um, it's not fair. It's not equitable. I mean, this is what we're talking about, right? We're talking about DEI and supply diversity. You have to make it equitable. You've got to make it fair for the smaller companies. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So now we're going to wind this down. And I always like to give the audience something to walk away from this discussion, talking about, thinking about, um, putting into action. Uh, so I want to ask each one of you to give me one thing that you would like the audience to walk away from this discussion, thinking, feeling, putting into action, doing that kind of thing. Amani, let's start with you. It's never as it seems to be. Think outside the box. Be open-minded. Love that. Thank you. Shay? I would say it's a journey, not a destination. Continuous, no matter how big your budget gets, no matter, no matter how diverse your organization gets or how inclusive it gets, it is a continuous effort that you need to be making. And you continue, you need to continue to speak to your people and listen to your people, understand your people, um, because they're going to keep changing. They're going to grow and their needs will, will, will change. So uh, continuous uh, efforts. Thank you. Jen? Um, educate yourself and then put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So you can see the world from their perspective. Absolutely. Ashley. It's about intent. And your intent behind any business owner should be the people that are supporting your vision and your dream. So make sure you're creating the space for them where they feel like they're getting what they need beyond the paycheck. Well, paycheck's nice too, but in addition to the Okay, Absolutely. I think mine would be just start. I talked about this at the beginning of the year around sustainable development goals. Pick one and start small. Just do something small towards it every day, every month, every week, whether that's listening to this podcast or reading some resources, learning a little bit more about somebody that's different from you. Just start somewhere. And if each of us do that, we can make a huge, huge impact. Now, I just want to say to each one of you, I want to applaud I want to applaud each one of you and remind you that you're all amazing. And I just appreciate you all for sharing so authentically. I mean, at the end of the day, most of you didn't really even know each other. And you came together in this safe space to really share your perspective so that we can make an impact and make a change on uh, the industries together. So again, thank you so much to Shay, Ashley, Jennifer, and Amani for joining me today. You know, that was such a positive discussion. It was a great 
just to sort of get back to our roots and focus 100% on the conversation around DEI. It's really why I started the show. It was great to be reminded of all of those amazing benefits that a genuine commitment to diversity and inclusion can bring on a business level, but also on a human level. It's so easy for us to get caught up in profits, efficiency, productivity, but let's not forget that people are at the heart of any business, and without people, we'd be nowhere. So ensuring you have a supportive environment and a strong DEI strategy isn't just a smart thing to do, it's the right thing to do. Don't forget that you can reach out to me or any of my guests on social media if you have anything you'd like to add to what we've talked about today. And remember to join us again next time for episode 21 of Blended, when we'll be diving into more thought-provoking issues around diversity, inclusion, and equality. You won't want to miss it, and I'll see you then. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining me today. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Yes.